Ladies and gentlemen, this is America's Healthcare Advocate. Broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Your guide to protecting your personal health. Bringing you simplified answers to the complex questions surrounding healthcare. Everything from cancer to liver transplants. Nutrition. Exercise. My yoga and Pilates instructor, Dana Goodale. Mental health and even pet care. Dr. Wayne Hunthausen, Westwood Animal Hospital. Empowering you to take control of your health and wellness. My very special guest today, Grace Marie Turner, president of the Galen Institute. Welcome back, Grace Marie. Well, Carrie, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I do have to say, you are the most knowledgeable about health policy. Just superlative. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Gentlemen, 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 gentlemen. And now, America's healthcare advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. By the way, the name of this show is going to change here in the not too distant future. My managers are changing it to the Carrie Hall Show. So after 17 years, they've decided to change the name. So I'm warning you ahead of time. So when we start that, you know, it's still the same show, just has a different name. My producer, Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened talk shows in the United States. 287 affiliates strong, thanks to all of you in the listening audience. I want to say a little shout out to the CAPE 95.7 FM and 1550 AM in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, our newest affiliate. We're very happy to have them on board. You can follow me on Facebook at America's Healthcare Advocate if you wish to. Lots of information up there. Our videos are posted up there and everything else. Also, these broadcasts are podcasts on TuneIn, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spreaker. So if you hear a show and you want to know more about it, you want to tell somebody about it or go back to it, they're all up on those platforms. They're also posted on the website. So they're all there at americashealthcareadvocate.com, which if you want to send me an email, you can do that. I get a couple hundred a day, so I don't answer each one the same day, but I do answer each and every one. Okay, today's show is a really important show. It's important to me because it ties into a number of issues in the veterans community. But before we get into all that, I want to welcome our guests here today. The, the impetus for this show was the Shut Out the Sigma Initiative by Blue KC. In studio with me, Dr. Raylene Nola. Doctor, welcome. Glad Thank to have you. you. Glad to be Battalion here. Chief Greg Taylor from the Kansas City Fire Department, 31 years of service. Thank you for your service and thank you for being here. Thank you. And Ryan Lefevre, broadcaster for the Kansas City Royals in his 23rd season. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Great, great to have you. Be better if we had a little better season, huh? Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about mental health. <laughs> so, yeah. So today's show is one of the most important I think we're going to do this year. It's focused on behavioral health, uh, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. Now, why is this personal to me? Because I'm a Vietnam veteran, which a lot of you know. And the personal suicide rate among veterans is up 50%. We have 21 veterans a day dying by suicide. This is a very serious topic. It's also something that has kind of been pushed under the rug for a long time. This initiative by Blue Cross and Blue Shield, I think, is a great program because it's bringing it to the forefront with people that are willing to talk about it, like Ryan and like the battalion chief. So without that, without further ado, I'm going to go to doctor. Doctor, let's start out and just talk a little bit about explain behavioral health and then what does that mean and what does it encompass? Sure. First, I think overall, just talking about behavioral health, behavioral health really refers to the relationship between a person's behavior and their overall well-being. Oftentimes, when we think about behavioral health, we might classify certain conditions, but the reality is a lot of it is how we behave and how we react to conditions. 
And so the one piece we've really been focusing on recently is the fact that behavioral health has been looked overlooked for so long, and we are now in a position to where we have a crisis. We have a crisis, and th- the name of this initiative is Stop the Stigma by Blue KC. So in addition to the fact that it's been overlooked, it's been one of those things that people just don't really want to talk about, right, doctor? Yes. We have found some of the most difficult part of dealing with behavioral health conditions have to do not only with getting access to help, but also the stigma that they're, that's there with it. And so part of the partnership with the Royals for Shut Out the Stigma was to really partner together and start being able to have those hard conversations, start being able to partner together and share and have those discussions and have empathetic conversations to try to shut out the stigma that we do experience in this field. So, in other words, to get people to be willing to come out and talk about it and face the issues like Ryan has done, like Chief has done, and see how that's going to impact their lives. Absolutely. Okay, so let's, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting in the talking points I had for the broadcast was behavioral health impacts our ability to function in everyday life and our concept of self, what we think of ourselves. I thought that was very interesting. I'd never seen it quite put that way. Explain that a little bit. Yeah, I could talk a little about it, and I'm sure uh, Ryan will have some to add to it. But when we think about our self-concept or our self-worth, oftentimes that's what we tell ourselves, the value that we bring. And when someone is experiencing different behavioral health conditions, and sometimes the more common with depression, anxiety, um, you know, someone who's experiencing or has substance abuse as well, they might be feeling that they are not worthy of more, you know, um, not to quote, but, you know, Brene's Brown old quote, she talks about kind of the antidote for shame is, is really about recognizing people and making them feel better. And I think oftentimes when someone's self-worth is down, they do, they feel shameful of that and being empathetic and listening. The antidote really is empathy, listening and caring and having those conversations and, and walking through some of that so that we can make people know they are valued and that we all have go through different times in our lives, experiencing different behavioral health um, aspects. Because when I look at it, I look at the entire well-being, not necessarily just the mental health component or just the behaviors we see, but the impact it has on how we handle life challenges, how we handle relationships, and the long-term effects of that from a mental and all chronic condition, really conditions. Okay, together. so let's talk about what happens when behavioral health goes untreated. What, what do we see occurring and when it starts to worsen? Where does this start to go? It has significant impact, I think, on everyone's ability to live their daily life. I think one of the most important things that we think about is you can't even take care of normal health-promoting behaviors, you know, trying to eat well, trying to diet, trying to exercise, you know, taking care of yourself becomes much harder. It also amplifies, you know, anxiety and depression as well. If you have, you know, continued self-concept concerns and issues, then it's harder to resolve those or move forward. So every condition becomes, every scenario in your life can become more difficult to handle. Small things become much larger. So they become a crisis. Yes. And they just keep building and building until something like the rate of suicide I talked about among veterans, first responders, et cetera, continues to build because it's not going treated and it's not going recognized. Right, because you have worsening conditions, whether they're chronic health conditions that get worse because you're not managing, whether it's your mental health and your ability to handle life, even decision-making at all becomes much more difficult to do. You know, it's interesting. Another thing that that you and the talking points that I got, this kind of surprised me, 30.9% of adults reported symptoms of anxiety and or depression and disorders. Of these, 24.6% reported needing counseling and therapy 
but a lot of people don't know where to go to get that. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. And that's one of the things that this initiative by Blue Cross and Blue Shield uh, does a lot to change. So let's talk about that. Sure. I think one of the, well, you're quoting some of the stats we've seen in Missouri and Kansas have exponentially increased since the pandemic and following the pandemic. And we find even that 30% in Missouri and again in um, Kansas, very similar, over 25% still are not receiving access to care even if they're having symptoms of anxiety and depression. Um, you know, last year in June of 2020, Blue KC launched our Mindful program, and it's really dedicated to trying to make accessibility and affordability for behavioral health conditions. And so we've set up a program now for our members that help get access, also multiple visits. We put our members in contact with what we call a mindful advocate, which is a licensed behavioral health specialist to help them navigate the system, get access to care with providers who can meet them at different stages in their life and what they need at that time and really personalize that approach. And that's critically important. Absolutely. So do you think the pandemic is directly related to the increase we see in these issues that we're facing today with behavioral health? I think we've learned a lot from the pandemic, and I think we've also learned that there are limits to resilience. I think we've seen the pandemic force people into social isolation and at home to where they have had less access to people. By human nature, we like to be connected. Humans, you know, connection is important, and we've unfortunately been forced to put ourselves in scenarios uh, that have not been ideal through the pandemic. I think we were heading that way anyways if we look at the stats over the last 20 years and how we've continually... um, I would say the stigma has not improved. I mean, there was a study, I think CBS did a poll in 2019, showed over 90% of Americans felt that seeking care um, for mental health or behavioral health conditions, there was a stigma tied to it. And they were worried about that. Um, And so most people still are afraid to reach out when they need the help. And I think that's something that was coming either way. The pandemic definitely amplified it. So in in other words, it it raised the threshold and, and, and it got progressively worse. Yeah, it, it's interesting Lower. because, you know, before we go to break here is the, the stigma thing just, I get, you know, you hear people say, well, I don't want my employer to know about it, or mm-hmm. I don't want my family to know about it. I think what people need to know is there's no need for that to happen. Am I correct in that? I think that's what we're trying to get across. We're trying to make it, we want to normalize these conversations. We want people to be able to talk with their employers, their friends, their family, others, so they don't feel alone and that they can't. And so the ideal state would be that they can have those conversations without having to feel that they're not worth the time of others or that others don't care because people do care. Thank you. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more after the break. If you want to learn more about this, you can go to the website, mindfulbluekc.com, mindfulbluekc.com. A lot of information up there. If you are a Blue Cross and Blue Shield policyholder, you can also source help up there, the doctors, the clinicians that can help you if you've got one of these issues or a family member does. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break with more. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HI Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website americashealthcareadvocate.com. Shows are posted up there. They're also on all the podcast platforms. Tune in iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. Our producer, the always perfect Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Gary Hall. Thank you for joining us again. In this segment of the show, we're going to speak with Ryan Lefevre in his 23rd year as 
the broadcaster with the Kansas City Royals. Ryan's involved in this, very involved in this Stop the Stigma campaign with Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And he wrote a book. It's called The Shame of Me. He wrote it in 2009. I told him just a minute ago off the air, I'll say it again. I think it took a lot of courage, especially being a public figure, to write something like this. So I'm going to take a minute here just to read a short piece out of this book to give you some idea and sense of why he did this and the problems he had to overcome. To most people, I'm sure I didn't fit the profile of a person who would suffer from anxiety and depression on the surface. My life probably seemed pretty blessed. I was 34 years old, not bad looking, owned a wonderful house on the lake, had great friends, and worked a dream job as, to most sports fans as a television and radio announcer for the Major League Baseball team, the Kansas City Royals. It was a decent life, but none of that seemed to matter to me, and it certainly didn't matter to my disorder. I realize now that I've been battling depression for my whole life. Thoughts of ending it were thoughts of ending at all were nothing new to me and I really wasn't sure why I never acted upon those thoughts what stopped me was I too afraid were there times when I I was low enough to do it but something always seemed to pull me back from it except on the night of August 7th 2005 I was really close I mean really close that's pretty chilling yeah and I you know I've talked about that book now for a long time but to be honest to actually get into it and reread it, I haven't for years. So when you read that, you know, it almost triggers emotions inside of me because I'm not that far removed from that experience. And, you know, there's a side to depression that I think is complex. And that is, I think, depression and anxiety is very easily tied to people who are in some sort of financial despair, relational despair, the loss of a loved one, a job, whatever. Then there was my depression where I laid out all these goals that I believed was going to make me happy. Which you accomplished. Which I accomplished at a very young age. I mean, all my boxes were basically checked before I turned 30 years old. So how in the world could somebody like me in the United States culture of achievement and accumulation, how in the world am I going to be depressed? So I've always said that my story is not a remarkable story. The reason I wrote it is because I realized it was going to connect with a lot of people. Um, I just happened to have a platform that I could use my story to share with others because I knew that there is another dimension to depression, that when we feel like we've achieved what our culture tells us is going to make us happy, and I will use the word happy again because there's a difference between happiness and joy, that we get to the end of that road, and that's not how we feel at all. And um, so that's 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 the main reason why I wrote the story. Yeah, and I will say to you in the listening audience, the book is available on Amazon. It's called The Shame of Me. Read the whole book. It is a remarkable piece of work. Um, you, you wrote this in collaboration with a couple of other people. It's well written. It's brutally honest, mm-hmm. which I must say, I, I was somewhat surprised at your level of honesty in this book about your personal situation. But I think it does a lot to give will give people an opportunity to understand no matter how bad it is, there's a way back out of this. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. And we'll start with the chapter that's called Dale, mm-hmm. who, was your, who was your first real therapist who, when you walked into her office, you said you thought there was going to be like the couches in the TV shows, but it was like a principal's office, <laughs> yeah, of which you had been in a couple of times as a child. Yes, I, I was. <clears throat> I knew what a principal's office yeah. looked like. Well, there's, there's, a, there's almost a humorous side to that story. So my mom, who as you know, Carrie is, uh, you know, a hero in this book for me. She had been through clinical depression twice, which I didn't understand when she was going through because I was in the middle of achievement and accumulation and I, there was an end goal for me. But when, when I was in deep despair and a lot of it was tied to my relationship with her when I was young, 
and unresolved issues in our relationship. And your mother was a single mother, single parent raising for, you as a single for parent. For most of my childhood, yes, she was. But it was my instinct to go to my mother when I was in my deepest, darkest times. And she and I was living in Kansas City. She was living in New Mexico at the time. She lives in Kansas City now. But she could hear something in my voice where she knew that I wasn't feeling depressed, but I was depressed and I was in trouble. And I'll never forget, she said to me, we are going to hang up the phone right now. You need to call somebody that you can go see today. And if you don't have somebody, you need to call somebody who knows somebody that you can see today. She actually told you to do it within 30 seconds. She's telling you, and I'm going to call you back in like five minutes and you're going to tell me how you're going to fix this. We happen to have an off day. I didn't know who to call. I called my chiropractor. Okay, who, who that's is a, interesting. Who was in a? I forgot who, that part. Who had uh, who had been in a family situation where she talked about um, a counselor who really helped them get through a tragic situation in their family. I called her. She gave me Dale Williamson's number. I called Dale, who advertised herself as a licensed therapist and play licensed counselor and registered play therapist. I had no idea what that meant, but I said, my name is Ryan Lefevre. And you play baseball. I got you. Yeah, I got your, <laughs> I got your number from my chiropractor, um, Emily Long. And apparently she heard something in my voice because she called me back within like 30 minutes, and it just happened. Um, thank God she had an opening that night, and that's how I ended up with her, by taking action and taking action. I had somebody, thankfully, my mom, who said, you need to do something right now. So that's when I ended up with Dale. And that was a blessing because Dale is a female. And, um, you know, I thought maybe I had some issues with my father growing up, but come to find out there were some things with my mom that I needed to resolve. So being with Dale and taking action right away um, and not, you know, as, as you were talking with Dr. Nola about, you know, putting these things off into the future, um, I took I took action right away, and the healing began the very first night after my biggest breakdown. But it wasn't a smooth process. It wasn't. It a was not. Road. It was not. But I started. <clears throat> and I started. This, I took the step. That was the single most important part of that whole discussion was that you did start and you took the first step. Because if you don't take the first step, doctor, as we talked about in the opening segment, this continues to spiral out of control. When it winds up as you actually do follow through and commit suicide or something else, correct? Correct. Yeah, so you can't, I don't think we can emphasize enough how important it is for people to be willing to take that first step. Take the first step and have availability. When we talk about access to taking action, having family and friends available and help, professional help. Yeah, family and friends is critically important. And I'm going to say this to the audience so you're all listening to this and I hope you're learning from this. If you have someone in your family with this issue, you probably know about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, you just heard Ryan say, and I read this part in the book, that his mother was the one that was a catalyst that got him to do this. Mm-hmm. It's critically important that if you have this issue in your family that you help that person find care. And if you're looking for that care, by the way, and you are a Blue Cross and Blue Shield recipient, mindfulbluekc.com is the website providers are up there i actually went up on the website and looked at it so it's all there it's easy to find somebody that's close to you that you can go and see and start the process we come back from the break we're going to talk about what happened when ryan went to new york city 
and spent uh, a day there uh, and had a very close call again, a second time of beat of a relapse. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. My producer, Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. In studio with me, Dr. Raylene Nola from Blue KC, Ryan LeFever, KC Rural's broadcaster, and Greg Taylor, Battalion Chief from the Kansas City Fire Department. So I want to switch gears here. There's a very interesting story in here about you in New York City. You go to do a radio broadcast for a chief, for a Chiefs game, for, for a Royals game, and afterwards you're supposed to go for a big night on the town with Mike Sweeney, which mm-hmm. is to go see a, a play and go to, I believe it was a Chinese or Japanese restaurant mm-hmm. um, in, in New York City. You made a interesting comment about you always thought the best thing you wanted that happened when you were in New York City was when the flight attendant said, <laughs> we're now, we're, buckle your seatbelts, we're now leaving New York City. You didn't particularly enjoy being there. No. Uh, because of the of the, the crowds, the mm-hmm. intensity, et cetera, et cetera. But on this particular night, it got completely out of hand. Talk about that. Yeah, so Mike Sweeney uh, was a longtime Royals player, um, Royals Hall of Famer, close friend. Um, and so we had a day game at Yankee Stadium, and we were going out to dinner at a very popular um, Chinese restaurant, and then we were going to go see the producers on Broadway. So that sounds like a perfect night, right? We go to the restaurant, and there was a large group of us, and I, 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 I was not doing well at that time. Um, the episode we talked about in the previous segment had happened weeks before this, and so I, I knew something was wrong, and yet I was being, you know, American male, and I'll work through this, and something great will happen and make all this pain go away, and I won't have to deal with it. But a turning point for me was in New York, and we go to the restaurant, and it was crowded. But I mean, I felt like everyone was just standing on my chest and screaming into my ears. I mean, it was loud. It was suffocating. And um, I joke about it in the book, but I felt like the guy who needs to snap himself out of it because I literally got up from the table and went to the bathroom and I'm splashing cold water on my face and looking at myself in the mirror and going, come on, you can get through this. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to have a heart attack or a stroke. And I remember thinking to myself, poor Mike, and there was another player there named John Buck. We were there with with their agents, and I kept thinking they are going to have to meet with the media tomorrow at Yankee Stadium and explain what happened to me in the restaurant. I literally was feeling for them. We then go to the producers, and I just I'm just I am just a wreck. And and Mike could notice that something was wrong with he me. Said something to you. Yeah, I mean he he just he just put his arm around me in the taxi cab on the way back to the producers. And, and I, and Dr. Nola was talking about the lack of connection during the pandemic. I mean, that right there was connection for me that someone could see that I was hurting and didn't have the words. Just, he just knew I wasn't doing well. I went back to the room. I could not sleep. My heart was pounding. I was sweating a lot of the typical symptoms I was having, but this was like the symptoms on steroids. And the turning point for me was, I began to realize that I, w- I was doing everything that I thought 
would make me feel better in the weeks preceding this, but maybe this was a medical condition. Maybe this was something that was beyond my willpower and that I needed to go to a doctor and get some, some help. And when I got back from that trip is when I visited my doctor for the first time and I explained what was going on with some shame because I'm a guy, right? And he started writing me prescriptions. He wrote me a prescription for Xanax, which was, is an, was and is an anti-anxiety medication, and for Lexapro, which is an anti-depression medication. And he explained to me, okay, you're going to need the Lexapro for this amount of time just to take the edge off when you're feeling anxious. Take the Lexapro. Eventually, the Lexapro will take over. You won't need. And he's explaining it to me, and he's not looking at me like I've lost my mind. He was very clinical about it, very stoic about it, which was comforting because, as I said in the book, I was fully prepared for him to pick up the bat phone, and um, here comes the team of people to strap me to a chair and take me out into the middle of Kansas to some institution never to be seen from again. I mean, that's, that's how I felt like my life was falling apart. So that was big for me. It wasn't the, it wasn't the end, but just getting to a point where I realized maybe this is a medical condition as if I'd been diagnosed with diabetes and I can't just look at quotes taped to my mirror that are going to will my pancreas to start making insulin again. I got to go see a doctor or I can't walk on my knee. I can't use inspirational quotes to make the pain in my knee to go away. I got to go see a doctor. So that, that New York incident was huge for me. So I'm watching you over here, doctor, and you're nodding your head. What struck me about this was, and he, Ryan didn't talk about this quite a bit, but he was pouring sweat as he was sitting at the dinner and trying to figure out how I'm going to get through this. Then he went in the bathroom to splash water. So how, to hear this manifest itself like that physically, talk about what he was going through there and the fact that then he said, I think it's a medical condition and went to see a doctor and got these medications. By the way, his mother had taken one of these medications and told him, don't expect to have it turn everything around within a, a week or two weeks or whatever. It's going to take longer right. probably, et cetera. So talk a little bit about all of that. Sure. I think one of the most important pieces is just to kind of, in my mind, differentiate what Ryan was experiencing at the restaurant first. When he says he's he had this underlying depression, anxiety that was there, but oftentimes when it gets to a state where he mentions, you know, he's sweating, he feels like there's pressure on his chest, he thinks he's going to have a heart attack, he thinks he's going to die. You know, at that point, he's really having a, a panic attack. And when we look at a panic attack, they're intense and overwhelming sense of um, anxiety and fear and emotions. And at that time, we think a lot of times about fight or flight and our nervous system responding and basically he went into flight motion of total adrenaline rush of taking care of his body he's feeling his heart racing he's sweating profusely he's not sure what to do and he can't control it on his own and that was probably an eye-opening experience through what he's saying. He couldn't control it on its own and understanding it is a condition. I think a lot of times one of the biggest reasons we have a stigma is for so long behavioral health conditions and medical and mental health conditions in that sphere too were treated as if though they were things we should be able to handle, that we should be able to treat, that there there are moods or they're how we respond. But when we think about true behavior, that is, you know, it happens as a reaction of other things in our body, a lot of these conditions and the medications that Ryan were given it's not going to cure right overnight. There are medications that are going to stabilize and change different levels of um, hormones in our brain, as well as help us in those times of crisis. And so I think, you know, one of the big pieces is realizing, number one, it is a medical condition and that no one's to blame. I think for a lot of med uh, mental health conditions, 
we all want to keep them inside and hope that we can just control it. We can make it better. It's something we're doing. It's our response instead of realizing that we really do have a medical condition. And how important was it for him to have Mike Sweeney there, the guy who put his arm around him and said, something's wrong, and get him back to the hotel? Very, very important. I'm thinking back to what we were discussing, just how important empathy is, how important listening and connection, physical connection and having someone who cares and someone who's there to recognize that things aren't okay, but they can be okay. And that's kind of the message that it sounds like he was trying to give you. So switch gears here a minute. Talk a little bit about your mother, because your mother's really kind of a hero in this book to me, yeah. because she's the, the catalyst. That first conversation, you've got 30 seconds to make a call. Right, right. She, and, and, she, and you would speak to her often when you were going through these kinds of situations. So, And the purpose of my doing that, folks, is the relationship and, and what a difference it can make. Right. And having been there herself, she knew some of the the words that I was using and, and the signs of despair that she could connect with. So my parents separated when I was 18 months old. They were divorced by the time I was five. And your father was a pro ball player. I grew up in Los Angeles. My dad grew up in Los Angeles. He played for the Dodgers. He was rookie of the year. He won a World Series with the Dodgers. He coached for the Dodgers. And so, I mean, he was the hometown boy done very good. My mom um, was a stewardess. Because back in those days, they were a stewardess, and you basically were a runway model hired to work on airplanes. That's and so pretty there, much how there it was, was. There was a lot of image, and you know, so you can see the image that I had on both sides of my, my parent dynamic. Now, they break up. My dad's my hero because he's a professional athlete, and that's what I wanted to be. My mom is a very angry, bitter woman at the time because her. At, you have to remember, in the 1970s, divorces and stuff like that were not public very often and this was so I was this ping pong ball or as I say I was the rope in a game of tug of war between my parents I was an only child from their marriage and so I grew up as I got older I began to resent my father because he wasn't there my mom was but through my counseling and let me just say this my best friend who's in the pharmaceutical business, when I started taking the medication, told me something I will never forget. He said, this medication is for now, but you need to start thinking about how you're going to get off of this medication because this is not as we're going to make you well. This it's is not permanent. This is what's going to get you through. So the counseling with Dale, I had a life coach. So I had to go to the root of the problem. That's where the hard work begins. And for some people, the cure is more painful than the disease. That's where the hard work comes. Where is where is these where are these feelings coming from? And that's where the healing really began for me. Yeah, it began and and, and continued on after that. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Yep. I think that was important for everybody to hear. Once again, if you want information on this, you are a Blue KC policyholder. MindfulBlueKC.com is the website. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on this compelling broadcast today here on America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting coast to coast across USA. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruited Plain here on the HIA Radio Network. More about us, if you want to know that, you can go up to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. The website for Blue KC, if you are dealing with one of these issues, a family member, a friend, maybe somebody you go to church with, whatever, the website is mindfulbluekc.com. 
It's a great website, easy to find providers. I went up there and looked at it. It works really well if you're interested in it. We're here today because of the Stock Must Stop the Stigma initiative that Blue KC has put in place. And joining us today, Dr. Raylene Knowles, Ryan Lefevre, and Greg Taylor, Battalion Chief for the Kansas City Fire Department. Chief, you've been doing this for 30 years. You don't always see the best of life. Uh, and oftentimes you guys are the guys that are running in the building when it's burning instead of running out of it. After a period of time, you know, first responders are a lot like military combat veterans. They deal with a lot of the same issues. You know, your concern was always for your fellow team members, your fellow firefighters, but it had an effect on you. And let's talk about that. It did have an effect on me. I had a friend that was having a lot of problems, depression, suicidal, and I had contacted a, a police officer friend of mine, and she she referred me to another police officer. And I think he saw it within me, like your mom saw in you, there was something. And he, I just had a conversation with him over the phone. And I got into, he got me into the Battle Within program. And I went through day one and day two, about halfway through day two. And I just, I felt like I was not worthy of being there as a firefighter. I'm here with all these military veterans. They've been overseas fighting for our country. And, and I just didn't feel there. And something, and I don't even know what it was, the second day just struck me because I was just there to get some more tools for the toolbox to help my friend out and help the other coworkers. And it just clicked with me. I'm doing all these things. I've got issues in my head. I'm, I'm coping badly. I'm eating badly. I'm drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, and it was just having a big effect on my life with my marriage, with my daughters, and, and everything I was doing. And I just I finally saw the light, and I saw I was just in a, a whirlwind downward. And it wasn't getting any better. Nope. Talk about the relationship, Doctor, between alcohol that's also in Ryan's book as well and people that self-medicate using alcohol. Yeah, well, and alcohol is one of many substances. You know, oftentimes it's more common because it's more socially acceptable. We have access. I think, you know, it's not always frowned upon as much as some other substances, especially um, for most adults who are of age. But I think what we don't always think about is the damage not only that alcohol can do to our thought process and our feeling, but it is a depressant. Uh, so you, when you take it as a depressant or you dr- drink it, I should say, um, in addition to other emotions you're having, it's it, again, I hate to say it again, but it's a downward spiral. And not only that, but it, it can numb you from the pain you're feeling at that time. And so it kind of is an open door next time you're feeling that way that, the, you know, it's going to help you get through it again. And then it requires more and more. Um, and it be, can become a very dangerous aspect. Yeah, because you're, you're already suffering from anxiety and depression, whatever the case may be. And now you're going to compound the situation with alcohol. So you saw all of this coming together. What did you do? <coughs> I, went, I went through the program and they teach more mindfulness, um, meditation, yoga, and relaxation. Um, take time for yourself. There, there's a lot of other things in there. Uh, one thing that helped me was communication, communication with my family, communication at work. The doctor mentioned uh, listening to people. Most of the time, we listen to respond. We don't listen to hear. And I started listening to hear, and I would hear help from a lot of coworkers. And I'd catch them by themselves, and I'd say, hey, um, we've got this program here. It's uh, no cost to you, no cost to anyone. Um, would you be interested? And I've had several people come to me, you know, either right then or they'll give me a call a little later. Hey, I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with this. Everyone's dealing with their own battle in their head. 
Yeah, they are. And it's interesting because back to Ryan a little earlier, but I'm a guy. Um, right. I, I can't, I can't, I can't do that because I'm a, well, it's like a guy on steroids when you're a first responder. Okay. So I, the program within the fire department that you guys have is directed at behavioral health. <clears throat> yes. We've got the, the EAP program through Blue Cross Blue Shield. We've got another program through the International Association of Firefighters. And then there's the battle within. And back in the old days, we would talk with each other. If we had a bad scene or something, we'd sit around the kitchen table afterwards and discuss it and work through the emotions. We don't do that as much anymore. And I think a lot of it's because of the stigma. Oh, I'm a big bad firefighter. I don't. We don't talk about that. We'll just deal it. Yeah. Deal with it. We'll compartmentalize it and, and stow it away. And then what happens, it just comes right back to the surface again and starts all over and manifests itself like Ryan was talking about when he's in New York City or the night right. that he thought he was this close to suicide. When that jar gets full, it, it just starts overflowing, and then you can't stop it. That's an interesting way to put that, when that jar gets full. That pretty well sums it up, Ryan. I think we've all been in a swimming pool with a ball, haven't we? Yes. And you take the ball and you force it under the water, right? That's what we do with our emotions. Absolutely. And then when you let the ball come up, it doesn't come up where it went down. It comes up to your left or your right or behind you, and that's and what's happened in my force. life. And it comes up with force, and then it comes up to your left, and you're like, well, why did it come up over there? And that, what I learned is it doesn't, when, when the depression and the anxiety comes, it doesn't come up in the form of what's causing it. It comes up in something else, and now confusion sets in and why am I feeling about A when B is the problem if right. that makes sense. And it will manifest itself in the worst possible time mm-hmm. but whether it's at a, at a fire scene or you're at church mm-hmm. with your family and you just blah, you know, And everyone I, has different I, triggers, right? Absolutely, so you think yes. of different scenarios and it's not something we control. Right. Can, boundaries but we can't control it. So Chief saw his relationship with his family deteriorate. He saw other issues Talk before we we're just about to wrap it up here, but talk a little bit about how this all affects your relationship with family as we go to close of the show, Doctor. Sure. Well, you know, in my opinion, I think it's similar to any other con- medical condition. The aspect of we can't compartmentalize, you know, um, how we're feeling or those emotions. And and when you're depressed or you're having anxiety or many other conditions, it affects all aspects of your life. It's not something that you just put in a compartment. You only feel it sometimes, or you only act on it. There are true behaviors that are result there. And so I think, you know, it's going to affect all your relationships. And so until we get comfortable sharing that, experiencing it, and growing together in relationships and finding ways to cope that are healthy, it's it will continue. Yes. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Chief. Thank you, Doctor, for being here today. You know, it's an important topic, ladies and gentlemen. I did this show. It's broadcast nationally, even though this is focused on Blue Cross of Kansas City and their program. But it's broadcast nationally because this problem exists everywhere in the country. The book, if you want to read it, and I recommend strongly that you do, is The Shame of Me uh, by Ryan Lefevre. It's available on Amazon. Uh, you can get the book, and um, it's very well written. There's even some funny stuff in it, like when your dad taught you vocabulary to ball game at age seven <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll find that very interesting thank you for listening now i'll leave you with this thought from dr martin luther king americans must learn to live together as brothers and sisters or we will surely perish together as fools truer words were never spoken thank you for listening to america's Healthcare advocate broadcasting coast to coast across the usa goodbye america